0: In spring 2021, reporter Brian Avelar launched an investigation that began in the depths of a grave dug by a serial killer and ended with the government forcing him and other journalists to flee El Salvador. Sonoro and Revista Factum present Humo, Murder and Silence in El Salvador, the story behind a country where the truth and its citizens' rights are buried under the weight of power.
1: Señor Ministro esta
0: Karen and Eduardo Guerrero? Where are my Listen to Umo: Murder in Silence in El Salvador, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Umo soldiers. I am rebooting a true crime podcast I began long ago called Children of the Void. Children of the Void explores missing child cases and cases about children who were found murdered that are rife with suspicious conduct among the child's inner circle and unanswered questions regarding the potential perpetrator. I will be co-hosting the show with Bonnie Lee, who is also the host of Writing About Crime. The first few episodes of Children of the Void are still available on all download platforms, as well as on YouTube. The new episodes will be released in late November of 2022. Please subscribe and look out for the new releases. Thank you and enjoy the show. All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in to Human Monsters. And I'm joined today by Amanda Quick. Thank you very much for joining me, Amanda.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And Amanda is promoting a book that is soon to be published. And what is the title?
1: The Sex Trafficker's Wife.
0: And how will it be released? Will it be available uh, in print? January 10, 2023. Okay. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get into the story that led to the book being written and published. And so it involves basically Amanda getting married and finding out that her spouse was not the man that she thought he was. He had a dark secret. Um, I don't know if he had the secret when you met him, or was it something, a behavior that manifested later on? Uh, So I'd just like to ask you Uh, What were your first impressions of him? What was the early stages of the relationship like?
1: So when we first started dating, I was 18 and he was 27. He was married to somebody else and I was, you know, the other woman, so to speak. He told me that they were breaking up and they were fighting, but it was probably a year of him seeing me on the side before he actually did leave his wife. And, you know, I was very young and, you know, obviously hindsight, (laughs) I, um, you know, believed that he really loved me and that he wanted to be with me and that things were difficult with his wife and that eventually he would, and then he did leave her. And I thought I had succeeded like, Oh, I was right. You know, I'm definitely the person for him and this is true love and all of that. Now, you know, he also very much romanticized all of my teenage promiscuity and, you know, he, but you know, when you're 18, you think, <laughs> you don't think you're a kid still, you don't think, you know, that was just a couple years ago. And so, you know, he, he had wanted to see pictures and stuff of when I was younger but I didn't think anything of it because at 16, I still felt like I was a grown-up, right? When anybody who's a teenager thinks they're all grown up already. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> and, and that you know everything, right? Yeah.
1: Right, exactly. And that's where I was. I was at this place where I knew everything, and this, you know, this this man really did love me. He just had to get things sorted out, and, you know, it wasn't. I didn't really think of it as a big deal that, you know, he. I mean, it was. It was. <sighs> It hurt me, of course, and I wanted him to actually be with me, but I didn't I didn't understand the actual gravity of what was going on at the time either. Um, but eventually he did leave her and we moved in together pretty quickly after that. And things were fairly normal for the most part. We both, we worked in the same place. We went to work together, went home together, did a little bit of traveling here and there. You know, things were pretty normal, I would say. And, you know, at this point I'm 20, you know, we went and, you know, went to Vegas for my 21st birthday. And, you know, again, we just, I think we're just kids living it up and I don't really see anything weird about, you know, going to the strip clubs or talking about wanting to, you know, he actually also talked about wanting to invite other people into the bedroom with us. And I didn't want to do that, but I didn't think of it as, you know, I didn't see it as some big red flag because he, he didn't eventually he stopped pushing. He did actually make me feel guilty for, uh, not wanting to do that because, you know, but you had did that with other people. Why don't you want to do that with me? And, you know, but again, he dropped it and I thought we were a fairly normal couple at some point. And I got pregnant when I was 22, not on purpose, but decided to keep the baby. And, he shut down quite a bit at that point. It was like he couldn't handle it from a mental health perspective. I don't think he hardly ate or sleep for two weeks after I found out I was pregnant. It was, and you know, I'm now pregnant going, uh, what are we mm-hmm. doing?
0: Did um, you not, did you not feel supported while you were pregnant?
1: Not, I mean, not really. He didn't, he didn't hardly want to talk about it. You know, I wanted to get married cause you know, we were going to have a baby and yeah. he wouldn't, hardly have a conversation about any of it and I was also very scared you know what was going to happen and you know I'm 22 I don't want to do this all by myself and I just kind of waited it out I actually eventually proposed to him because I was like I'm done waiting are we going to do this or not and he agreed and we got married when I was six months pregnant and then after the baby was born he went back to work really fast and I didn't I stayed home for a while and things changed quite a bit after I had, after I had my first child, because I was no longer going to work with him, not talking to him about everything. He's basically stopped talking to me about anything outside of what was happening at home. Like I didn't know anything about his job. I didn't know anything about people he hung out with. He started working longer hours and I didn't, I didn't know what to do because I just had a newborn and I didn't, you know, we had talked about at some point, me even staying home full time with the the baby. And I worked part time from home for a while, but you know, financially I couldn't really support us like I wanted to, and his income could. And so eventually I stopped working and I stayed home and you know, we bought a bigger house and things like that. And I had another kid and another kid and it continued to be this, I thought things were pretty normal, we, you know, I I stayed home full time, three kids, house, dog, you know, the whole regular family, and he worked. And at this point, he was working 12 plus hour days, the company he worked for um, expanded, and he was now traveling for work also. So he would be gone a whole week out of every month. He would not call us very often during that time. But, you know, I excused it all away. I we have young kids, we'll figure out how to you know we'll get closer later once they're older we'll have some more time to spend together like things weren't bad we literally didn't fight we just didn't talk either
0: when he was home was he distant towards you
1: yeah we would sit on opposite sides of the couch uh, me and my phone and him on his laptop watching tv together sort of <laughs> um, uh-huh. you know like we were very we didn't fight but we didn't communicate you know we were still regularly intimate and You know, I almost felt like it was my, it was an obligation because I, you know, that you don't, you don't, in my mind, I didn't want him to go looking elsewhere. So I had to do that, even though I didn't feel connected with him. And, you know, I, I truly thought that he, he told me when we first started dating that I was the fourth person he'd ever been with. And I believed him. And so I thought that meant he would never step outside of the marriage because he, I was also his third wife. So I thought that just meant he was a serial monogamist and there was no way he was going to do that
0: because he couldn't, that's just not who he was. How old was he by that time?
1: I was 20, he was 27.
0: 27, third marriage. Yes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and and so I don't, I don't want to ask you a question that's going to embarrass you, but did you start <laughs> to see signs in his sexual <laughs> proclivities that suggested that there was something more tawdry or sinister than just threesomes or strip club patronage?
1: Um, you know, at the time I didn't notice it being wrong, but looking back when I was, we were 19, 18, 19, he very much enjoyed the photos that I had of myself at 16. And, you know, those were, those were very intriguing to him. And he would, the conversations we he wanted to have with me, especially in the very beginning, were very, very explicit. Like it was very a ton of back and forth, you know, sexting essentially. Um and I didn't think anything of it at eighteen. <laughs> did that,
0: did I, that's he that's ever similar. did he ever um integrate with perhaps with like other very young females in your family? Did you ever see his no. conduct in those situations? No.
1: I didn't. I didn't see any of that. Um, And at most, he just idolized, you know, what I had done at a young age. And I didn't I certainly didn't notice anything of the of that sort. And I don't know if I just didn't want to see it or it wasn't. He hid it from me. But, you know, I knew he watched pornography. I was aware of that, but I don't I didn't like it myself. They most of the time, they don't look like they're having fun to me. And he would want me to watch it. But then when I didn't really want to, he kind of that was something he did in secret in private. And I, I, I was under the assumption everybody did that. And everybody basically watched porn and everybody had their preferences. You know, the things that I did notice that were a little bit odd were when I got pregnant and before I got pregnant, he very much that was there was a power piece to it. It was very it was a turn on for him to impregnate somebody. (laughs) which I didn't understand as anything, um, but it was a very obvious thing for him, and a lot of people thought it was a little odd. But, you know, again, that's consenting adults. Um, I really didn't notice any specific kid behavior. He really didn't share – I didn't see anything of that sort until later.
0: I wonder if that has something to do with wanting to be controlling or having ownership over you.
1: Well, and that's that was more what I did notice. It was much more about, you know, the 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 dominance and control over me versus the my specific age. Uh,
0: okay. So, um, so fast forward into future. Um, uh-huh. so getting to the part about trafficking. So, yes. What are the events that led to that? Um, not just in terms of when you discovered it. The, what you know about the history of his involvement in that activity. So
1: now what I know um, is that from the time he was about 20, he started soliciting prostitutes. And that was something he did his entire adult life, essentially. So this idea that he had he'd only ever been with four people, he'd only ever paid, not paid four people. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, the, he never would admit that there were children. But later, through a bunch of conversations, he did admit that there was no way to know for sure and that there was plenty of times where the people there were definitely not interested and sort of playing, as they would say, the dead fish and that he it didn't stop him. And I was, you know, the conversation was like, well, didn't you think maybe they didn't want to be there? They were there of not their own free will. Um, Apparently, that didn't occur to him. Um, he talked himself into this belief that he was helping them. He was paying them and helping them and they enjoyed it. So it was okay. Oh, wow. Um, So he admitted to soliciting and when basically he said he stopped when we first started dating, but then he continued after I had my, my oldest. And basically I wasn't giving him enough attention anymore because I was, you know, had a newborn and he then started looking outside for whatever he needed
0: when he was purportedly uh, working 12 hours a day Correct. was, was yes. he actually spending a lot of those hours looking for prostitutes yes.
1: yes exactly so i wouldn't know where he was and he wouldn't answer his phone but that became normal you know once i stayed home with the kids it became normal for him to not answer the phone and if i said hey when are you going to come home it was, well, I'm working hard and my best, and he would make me feel guilty because I didn't financially contribute, and he he was. And so how dare I question his commitment to us? And so I, I felt like I couldn't even ask for more. I couldn't even ask for him to participate. And, you know, he was basically at least a couple of times a week, you know, with with other people. And especially it was, I think, worse when he traveled because he was gone completely for a whole week. And I didn't almost talk to him at all during that time.
0: What, what did he do, by the way? Or what did he do? He was
1: a, he worked in IT security. And so he worked for a credit card processing company, which um, was both in Colorado and in Ohio.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah, there's there are a lot of opportunities, like at truck stops to...
1: Yeah, it wasn't like, you know, it was more, he used Backpage back when it existed. Um, which was the, it's like the Craigslist for prostitutes, apparently. And he told me that in Cincinnati, there was an entirely separate page specifically for that area. So there's lots of these various websites out there.
0: Uh, I see. And so uh, when you went from just, you know, paying for these services to actually getting involved as a proprietor, uh, at what point did that start to happen?
1: Well, so trafficking as a charge is considered, the if you were buying or selling people, it's trafficking. And so he didn't get it. He, as far as I know, he was never involved as somebody moving the kids around or doing anything of that sort. He was only purchasing them.
0: And how, do you know how young some of them were, like the youngest? Or?
1: I know that the arrest was for a hypothetical 11 and 14-year-old.
0: Hypothetical. Wow.
1: So it was a sting operation, so they weren't actually children involved in participating. Oh,
0: I see. Kind of like but, what they do to to catch a predator, kind of. Yes, thing.
1: exactly. That was exactly the type of sting that played out, which is what eventually caught him. Is they? It was a sting operation where they offered an 11 and 14 year old, and he showed up to me, and he asked for both of them.
0: And so, what what were the charges?
1: So the first charge, the first charge the very in the beginning, was attempted human trafficking. And that was what he was originally arrested for. They talked in bond court about upping the charge to completed human trafficking based on his particular case. And then later, after they did a legal review, they dropped it to solicitation of a minor.
0: Yeah, So, <clears throat> so what were the penalties for that?
1: So if he had been actually... You know, found guilty of a human trafficking, it would have been an indeterminate to life sentence. But for solicitation of a minor, that's a lesser felony, and that would have been more like a five to ten years. He actually pled guilty to attempted solicitation of a minor and received only probation.
0: Yeah, I mean, it does, and it does get into the whole area of um, entrapment as well. Did his lawyer try to?
1: His lawyer didn't claim that. I mean, they definitely tried that with an in a there was more than him as a defendant in this case. And it that didn't fly, it didn't matter. It was the they've they continue to do these things and nobody nobody claims entrapment that they're allowed to do this if you show up to meet what you believe to be children and you have cash on you to pay them. They have enough evidence to arrest you.
0: Oh, okay. Was he ever, uh, did he ever download child pornography or go not, to child porn?
1: Not that, so this, this is the thing about a lot of this. They they never searched his devices. They never actually even checked. Um, I know he had porn. I know he had a lot of downloaded movies and TV and things, and he never once was, they never came and searched the house. I thought they were going to, I was actually terrified they were going to, um, because I lived there with my three kids and they never showed up to search anything. They took his devices, but then they ended up giving him a plea deal.
0: Did did he have like a password protection on his device? Oh yeah.
1: Everything was encrypted. Like he, he worked in IT security. Everything was hyper encrypted if anything.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you could have at least said, you know, I don't know how to do that. I didn't choose his password or anything.
1: Right. Well, and I, you know, when he was first arrested, I couldn't, I didn't want to believe any of it. I didn't, I still tried to believe that my husband was a safe man because it didn't make sense to me. I didn't, I couldn't put the puzzle pieces together yet. And I stayed in the marriage and supported him through the criminal trial. And so I, I didn't really help the police in any way, because I was still under this belief that they were essentially, you know, trying to charge him with more than he was admitting to, because all he would admit to was adult prostitutes. He wouldn't admit to the kid stuff. And it took me it took years for me to actually see the truth.
0: Are you aware of any history of him sexually abusing children that he may have known, um, whether in his family or other kids he interacted with?
1: So he absolutely groomed our children. I don't know about any others. Um Years later, that's when I discovered our kids to be in danger and the things that were coming out of my middle child's mouth, especially of what was going on at his dad's house, sent off all of the crazy, you know, red flags in my brain. Um, and that's really what started to go. Oh, right. That's what he was arrested for. That was <laughs> hello. <laughs> um it took me seeing my own kids in danger for me to really get it and start to understand that that all of these things had been there before. Um, my middle son, who was seven, started becoming sexually inappropriate with me. Like, he would sit in my lap to watch a movie and try to, like, make out with me. And I'm like, excuse me, what is going on? That's not okay. Um, he told me, as I was taking him to school one day, he just says, sometimes I suck on daddy's fingers.
0: Oh, man. And-
1: when questioning him, he showed me exactly what you would expect with his thumb, and you know, child protective services at that point did nothing when I reported it. Um, my son disclosed that he, my my ex, would come climb into bed with him at night in the middle of the night in his bed, not you know, not the kids saying I'm scared, I need it, need help, but the adult going to the child's bed. Um, my son, what I was reading books trying to help them you know, keep private parts private and how to per- be protective and was talking about there was a specific section in there where they said, you know, if anybody shows you pictures or videos of naked people, that that's a red flag. And my son says, oh, but it's okay if it's animated, right?
0: Oh, boy. So you're so, like hentai hent- or something like that? Or
1: it's, I, I don't And I, you know, I don't I never got the specifics because you can't question the seven year old like that. You can't you know you have to be very careful because you know they don't know that it's wrong they don't know yet that those things are not okay and you know in the middle of a custody battle which is when all of that started to come out I also had to be very careful not to be accusing in in a way that would harm my case and it was it was probably the fight of my life because of the fact I stayed and supported him through the criminal trial I had to prove my own kids in danger in in family court and so While he never admitted to me that there was other children, he absolutely was inappropriate with our children. The only other thing he did admit to, and this was through a sex history polygraph that they do for sex offenders, he admitted to, in his younger teenage years, being aroused by a toddler. So he admitted to that, but he didn't admit to anything else.
0: And what kind of um, sexual acting out did you see in your other kids?
1: So the other two, I didn't really see much, but the other two, my middle child is the very sweet, empathetic, um, all of my children are boys, but he's the, he was the more feminine one and very much the one who, you know, feels other people's feelings. The other two really, my youngest was, was really young. And I think he was, was like four or five. And my oldest is, is slightly autistic. And you know, doesn't, doesn't participate in any kind of social interaction for the most part. And so I didn't see much in the other two. It was really targeted towards my young, sweet, empathetic little boy. And he was, he he was separated from his brothers also, like even bedrooms at his house would be separated. And my middle child was, you know, on the ground floor while the other two were upstairs.
0: Do you have any idea what your ex's long-term objective was in terms of that? Was he, planning I, on you know trafficking your son
1: i truly don't know i truly don't know if he even entirely understood what he was doing was wrong he, he was diagnosed with so many mental health issues and he would you know he was the prime gaslighting narcissist where you know how dare you accuse me of such a thing <laughs> you know there was no ever understanding of and no admittance you know he i don't think he ever believed he did anything wrong you know he was so far sure that that he was he was getting better and okay he was objectifying people but he sees it and he's going to do better now like he didn't he never really could admit that there was anything bigger going on
0: and um what kind of um psychological effects did it have on your son the oldest <laughs>
1: So um my middle son yes so he's he's doing a lot better now um you I definitely see he's now 10 and you definitely see a little bit of hypersexualization you know he's much more aware of that energy than the others are you know we have a lot of conversations about consent and body parts and what's okay and what's not but he's definitely more more aware and more prone to you know, have have an interest in different things. and you know we have to we have to talk about what's okay and what's not okay. Um, he he doesn't know that he was the target still. You know, at ten years old, he's not quite ready to hear that his his father was gonna harm him. He just knows that he's in trouble enough and that we don't we don't have any contact with him anymore.
0: so when when you would explain to him, you know, this is inappropriate, that's inappropriate. How did your son react?
1: He would that? shut down and hide. So when I would have conversations like, "Well, those are those are very silly games, but we need to pay attention to body parts. So that those are you know things that aren't okay," he would hide under the covers and and shut down. He was terrified that his daddy was going to get in more trouble than he was already in.
0: Oh, so it had nothing to do with feeling ashamed or anything no. like that. No,
1: it was more protective of his father.
0: And did he ever? Um, act out with other children maybe at school or anywhere else or
1: not that i knew of um right after i got full custody was two weeks before the pandemic hit and so everything everything shut down um which was a blessing in a lot of ways for us to help that um you know at this point the kids are old enough that they're very much you know wanting their privacy and and things like that and i encourage them to keep their you know if they want privacy to respect each other for that and um you know I don't believe that it went further than the inappropriate grooming and I am it would be my worst might nightmare if that if I didn't catch it when I did
0: Do you are you aware if your ex was sexually abused as a child?
1: I he never admitted it but I feel like I don't know for certain. I don't know for certain. His family had some really interesting history, where like they basically were completely cut off from any extended family from the time he was about nine months old, and like didn't speak of it, didn't talk about it. They, you know, he has a, a sister who completely is completely estranged from the family, and nobody would ever tell me why or what happened. Um, there was just some weird stuff in that family that could be, you know, explained away. But he never he never admitted to anything and neither did any of his family members. I believe that something happened when he was young and I don't I don't have any evidence to prove it one way or another, though.
0: Yeah. Families that are highly secretive like that, usually some kind of abuse may have occurred.
1: That's that's what I feel like happened, you know, when they completely stopped communicating with anybody in any extended family at all and just took off. Feels like more more went on.
0: So have you had to um, take your son in for counseling at and all? I
1: I have yes he was in he was in play therapy through the divorce um, and the therapist was the one who actually helped helped with helped me basically get to the point where I was able to call child protective services she's the one who asked me to show him what I meant he also in play therapy took like a chopstick to a doll's crotch and was smashing it you know just some odd odd sexual like things. Um, But once the pandemic hit, the virtual therapy doesn't work very well on young children. Um, And so we stopped a lot of that. And it's kind of at this point, it's going to be just to see things as they come. He definitely has a lot of trauma triggers when it comes to anybody talking about his dad or sharing about it. And he's he's, he'll completely shut down again. And if he doesn't feel safe, he, he will sleep for days, like 18 hours straight. It's what what happens in his body when something happens at school and somebody's you know, something triggered this, somebody's gonna ask some questions that are uncomfortable. He just shuts down.
0: How does how does he feel about his father now? He
1: um, well, we haven't heard from him in now almost about two and a half years. And he at this point I've had as much disclosure as I can from an age-appropriate way and talking about, you know what he did and that he was trying to hurt kids and that's why he can't be around other kids and that's why he can't be around us he at first it was like well i don't i can't even believe that that he would do something like that and i said well i didn't believe it at first either but that's what happened at this point i think i've had enough conversations about he has made the choice and these are his choices and his things and so they basically don't even think of him as their real father anymore. I have recently remarried, and my my son actually told my my new husband, "You're our real dad."
0: Well, that's that's really cool. Yeah. So how how does your your new husband feel about the whole situation? Because that is like, it, it's it's such a complex thing, and it is knowing knowing you know what to say, what not to say, how to handle it. Does, has that been difficult or
1: um, you know, he definitely will take my lead on those things cause I'm the one who's been, th- who's been through it. Um, he, you know, knows what happened obviously, but, you know, from a regular day to day perspective, we're fairly normal, normal households. Um, you know, he, my, my husband now, you know, he's, he's a yoga instructor and, and on a spiritual journey, a very, very different kind of man. And, you know from his perspective his role is really to help teach them you know how to process emotions in a in a safe way and not not shut down those things and you know how do we you know he can be a different kind of an example of what it what it means to be a man and that's kind of how he sees his role and you know i'm honestly i i didn't expect to ever remarry after all of that so I'm really grateful especially with three boys to have somebody to actually show show them what what is appropriate behavior.
0: Yeah, I imagine it must be such a incredibly um stressfully bifurcated situation when you love someone enough to marry them, to spend your, the rest of your life with them, and they end up doing something as horrific as sexually abusing your child. Like yeah. was is was that how how was it hard to process that psychologically?
1: Yes. Um, it. In a lot of ways, you know, I stayed in the marriage because I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that he was a monster. I couldn't believe that he would do those things. And then, you know, to be faced with the fact that he was now abusing my kid and I because I stayed, I was going to have to fight in court to prove it. And I was going to have to, you know, take my kids. I would still have to, you know, after all those things happened with my son, I still had to send him over to his father's house every few days. Like, talk about him. Mindfuck. Um, I was diagnosed with PTSD because we were also dealing with huge amounts of parental alienation. He was, you know, basically he was accusing me of being the problem. He was accusing me of, of causing the harm to the children and how dare I accuse him.
0: Well, what was it? What was his rationale for making that accusation?
1: Uh, because I dated and, you know, out in, out in the open, told everybody what I was doing. Um, I, he basically said I left them. And he told the kids that I left them, all of them, and that I won't forgive daddy. And that's why we can't be together as a family. Um, he believed I wasn't warm with them and that I was, you know, uh, I wasn't I was holding the boundaries too tight and too firm. And, you know, he was playing Disneyland dad. And and so there was this this giant conflict. Anybody who's ever been in a high conflict divorce, it was it was full on. There was there was screaming at transitions, and it was always my fault. So
0: yeah, one thing one thing I've noticed about a lot of those contentious divorce situations that involve custody battles is that one parent will decide to manipulate the children by being the the laissez faire, indulgent parent, buying the kids whatever they want. Did he do that too?
1: Yes, he did. They all had their own iPads. They all had. You know, all the all the fancy video games they would play. They they got to the point where they were physically violent with me to come to my house because it was more fun at his house.
0: And any rules there or was it
1: not really? I mean, it was uh, do what I say and I'll give you a piece of candy.
0: Great. So, I mean, how do you undo that damage? How do you turn the kids around and say, no, you, you ha- we have to have guidelines here. We have boundaries, <laughs> rules.
1: Um, well, and that was really a struggle when one house worked worked one way, and one house worked the other. When they when they came home to me full time, obviously all of that got to be reset. You know, there were still still areas that I really struggled to with them with boundaries. When it comes to the way they physically treat each other, the way they physically treat me, they still opt to violence, they still opt to, you know, be pissed off and, and shove and push and and be very disrespectful because there was no boundaries whatsoever and I don't subscribe to the bribery to get you to do what I want, because to me, that's, that's not how we teach kids that there are boundaries to just help we participate in society.
0: Yeah. And so where did you find uh, guidance for yourself in ter- as a parent on how to resolve these issues?
1: Um, so I was in my own versions of therapy as well. Um, the, Once I was diagnosed with PTSD, I actually changed therapists to a therapist who works directly with these type of cases and these type of situations. And, you know, what she was, she was telling me that the majority of people end up sharing custody with their abusers or their children's abusers. And it just breaks my freaking heart, honestly, that this is what happens. Um, She was the one who helped guide me on what to say to them in an appropriate way and to really help when every time things come up, you know, always put the blame where it is due. A lot of people try to protect, you know, the the parent who did wrong and not and, and not tell the kids the truth. It was very important to me to tell them the truth and put blame where it was due and really to work with the kids. And other than that, it's been a lot of a lot of research on my end and trial and error and, you know, doing the best I can to hold boundaries for me in the household. And you know, having a lot of conversations with them, honestly. At this point, they're 7, ten, and 12, and I can have a bigger conversation about what's okay and what's not okay and what the natural consequence is going to be if you cannot participate in a way that's appropriate in the household.
0: Yes, and, uh, you know, it, children do tend to blame the parent who initiated the divorce, don't they?
1: They do, and actually, he initiated the divorce as a way to manipulate me. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but uh, – They still were blaming me because if he told them it was because I wouldn't forgive him.
0: Also playing the victim as well.
1: Very, very much. And he would tell them how lonely he was and how much he missed them. And, you know, he just went on and on and on with the amount of he was the victim to
0: me. And so has he been become a uh, registered sex offender? Yes.
1: Yes, he is a registered sex offender. He was put. He was four, got four years of probation. I have no idea the current status of it, um, but he is on on the registry as uh, and will remain on it.
0: So that's strange because I thought that one of the conditions that you're not allowed to integrate with any children.
1: So in the state of Colorado, there was a Supreme Court case that just came into effect right before he pled guilty that. Uh, basically says your constitutional right to parent does not just because you are, but just because you have a sex offense does not negate your constitutional rights to parent. And unless, unless they can prove that there's a direct correlation between your own children, there's this belief that you won't harm your kids, even if you would harm others. And because of that precedent in the state of Colorado, he was basically allowed to move back into the house.
0: So after, you know, the abuse comes to light, and they're going to his place for visitations. I don't imagine you yeah. got a lot of sleep that during that no, time. No,
1: no. And when I even calling Child Protective Services, they didn't do anything. They interviewed my kid, and he hid under the table scared and just said, oh, we don't play that game anymore. And they dropped the case,
0: despite the history. That's strange because, at least in most states, if you are on the registry, Uh, Not only do you have to go door to door and tell everyone and register with the police department, like you're not even allowed to go to any public space where children might be, like a grocery store. It's a really difficult thing. Finding a place to live is hard. And yet this guy.
1: In the state of Colorado, it's different. It's different. He there is no restrictions on where they can live. They they cannot go to schools or like rec, rec centers, but they can go to grocery stores. Um, they're not supposed to have contact with other children, but because of this new precedent, their own children don't count.
0: Yeah. One thing that's really strange about them wearing those, those electronic braces on their legs and obeying curfew is that the curfew is in the evening, but (laughs) children are outside in the day. It doesn't make (laughs) sense, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, and he didn't, he never was electronically monitored. He did have a curfew. Um, which changes the further probation they get and they basically get more leeway. He's allowed on the internet, he's allowed, you know, all of the normal things. He's just not allowed to go directly to schools.
0: Wow, that's really strange cuz like in most states, the politicians always win easy points by, you know, upping the ante in terms of punishing sex offenders.
1: Yeah, for what Colorado is going the other direction.
0: That is really odd. And, and why? I can't imagine what the reasons is why.
1: <laughs> I mean, they're basically they have the Supreme Court case where this guy said, you know, I shouldn't not be allowed to be in my children's lives just because of this thing I did. And the Supreme Court found that they sided with him. And the case it's a the I believe it's the US versus Burns. It's specifically for the state of Colorado.
0: Wow, oh, that is strange. So so is he currently in prison or
1: No, he never went to prison. Oh, he, he never. For his offense and when my divorce ended and I basically, you know, he he was he got to the point where he was only allowed supervised visitation, he he didn't exercise any of it. And so he just stopped communicating with us once he lost control and once he lost any kind of decision making, he stopped communicating completely.
0: Wow. I'm, and so has he is uh, he offended against any other children since then?
1: I have no idea. Truthfully, I don't know. I um, I haven't seen anything publicly in the papers. I but I'm not truly <laughs> keeping an eye on him either. Um, you know, I know that he was on probation and they watch him kind of not really. Um, and if he were to reoffend again, I expect somebody would tell me. But I, I honestly don't know we've moved away we've started a whole new life we've kind of put our put that past behind us and my you know, goal in writing this in my book is is to bring awareness and help people not feel alone because I'm not the only one who's been through this
0: you know it just occurred to me is that what if like most of the pedophiles in America find out that Colorado is the is the promised land where you face less legal penalties and then they start flooding in can you imagine you know? <laughs> Well, and
1: what's interesting is that actually happens. The his the, the area of Colorado we were in was known to have a much more lenient program because all sex offenders have to go through a treatment program. And there were people that moved from Denver down to where we were because of the treatment provider and the fact that they got internet back right away and they got to do, they had a bunch of, it was much more lenient. And so that actually happens. People will move locations to get... You know a much more lenient you know program and and be allowed to live a, a whatever and do whatever they want essentially
0: and when you and you so looking back now like when you first met him first started dating him uh you mentioned that he liked looking at your high school photos yes did you ever get the sense like he's really idealizing the fact that you're yes. young yeah
1: now, now I see it.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah. See
1: it when I was 18 because that was just two years ago, right? And you want to, you think you're so grown up and that's no big deal. Now I see it. He wouldn't delete the photos of me at 16, even after he was arrested. He said, "No, you're my wife. I'm going to keep them." And I said, "You're, you actually have child porn. It's just of me. Yeah. That's not okay." And you know, he he refused to delete it.
0: Like we're, you're wearing clothes in the photos. No. oh well yeah that is child porn actually yeah
1: yes and and I I actually told the police that and I, I never got a response because I I don't know I, I said he has child porn of of me I know I, I know he has it because I gave it to him years and years ago and I've asked him to delete it and he won't
0: see so that yeah there's another thing right there like I just did uh, the Larry Nasser case and when they were investigating him they went through all his All his digital devices, uh, found a couple of hard drives in this garbage, tons of child porn. So normally they don't leave any stone unturned. They'll they'll open up your cupboards in the kitchen to find all this stuff. I
1: truly don't understand why they didn't come, why they didn't investigate further. And, you know, I actually spoke to the district attorney. He's the one who helped me get through my divorce. I got the case file completely unsealed so I could actually see what happened with between him and the undercover agent and i when i asked him you know i i expected you guys to come raid the house in fact i was terrified you were going to come tear it apart and he said well we didn't have any reason to because you guys were there like it's almost like they didn't want to you know because it was just me and the kids at that point they didn't want to come into the house and i don't really get why not i mean it would have been hard to go through that yes but i would have known a lot more information from the beginning
0: well, did he keep that computer in your house?
1: He kept a lot of computers in my house, and actually, a couple of weeks after he was arrested, he asked me to throw hard drives away. He told me there were just downloaded like kids' movies, which is illegal to go download kids' movies, and I was scared that things were going to get worse, and so I did throw hard drives away. And at the time, I didn't, I didn't even know what was on them.
0: Well yeah, I mean if if he's downloading especially like videos, they take up a lot of hard drive space. So yeah. he would have yeah. And yeah, that's he,
1: you know, he worked in IT security. He had hit servers all over the house. You know, I just didn't I didn't have the passwords of the logins to any of it, so I didn't ever know what was on it for sure.
0: Yeah, and with his technological know how he probably knew how to um, how to get, cloak himself online so no Correct. one could see what he was doing, where he was going. It's a shame that they, they never found those materials because that's a felony having child pornography. So.
1: Well, and I tried to get probation to search his devices as after I was seeing what was happening with my kids, I tried and so actually did the police department. When I finally when I got a hold of the right person in the police department and the Homeland Security, I was able to actually have a conversation with the people who put the cuffs back on him and I was they were trying to get probation to get him, you know, to turn over his devices because probation has that ability and authority and they refused. They said he's compliant with probation. We're not going to do that. I just, I don't understand.
0: (laughs) More, more aspects of the Colorado Penal Code, I guess, right?
1: Yeah. Well, probation's, um, viewpoint was that if he paid the probation bill and he didn't get in, you know, anything, do anything big, that he was compliant. That's all that mattered to them.
0: Boy, someone's got to start up a movement or something to change that.
1: Well, and honestly, that's part of what I'm here to do is to bring light to all yeah. of it. Because it's insanity that somebody who has been arrested for these type of things and gone through the criminal hearing that I still had to fight in family court to prove my kid was in danger. Like that, and the I, fact that I had to go through that doesn't even make sense.
0: And what I what I hope sincerely, and this is something I've witnessed in many parents whose children have been harmed by abuse or maybe murdered or something, is that they felt guilty that they couldn't protect their child, but at the same time, there was nothing they could have done. They weren't aware that the harm was being done. Have you still felt that uh, posthumous guilt about it?
1: You know, at this point, I'm just truly grateful that I caught it when I did and I woke up when I did and that I didn't stop because it's, you know, after calling CPS and having them say that we can't do anything, I felt for a period of time like there was nothing I could do to protect my kids. It it felt like the system was going to fail me and I was going to end up sharing custody with a man who was going to abuse my kids. And it took a lot for me to not give up on that and to fight and keep going, and to ask everybody for help, and to not hide, and to not, you know, succumb to any version of shame or guilt, and really just say, I'm going to leave no stone unturned, and I'm not going to stop until I succeed.
0: It's odd how sometimes some kids fall through the cracks when it comes to social workers and their work, and then there are other times where if someone's kids are eating soda crackers for dinner, they're at the doorstep, (laughs) you
1: know? I know, and they take them away, like, for that, it doesn't make any sense to me and I just the system truly is broken and going through what I went through just highlighted it how how bad it is and it is not the system is not protective it is only punitive and something big enough has to happen for them to do anything and I wasn't willing to let it get to that point point. and it's it's parents jobs really to be protective of our
0: children yeah, I guess it would have to be um, something really severe, like children actually become being made into prostitutes for yeah. people to pay attention, finally.
1: Well, but and why- it's exactly like really how bad does it have to get for people to wake up?
0: And why should we wait for that to happen, you know?
1: Exactly. And that's really what it felt like. It just had it, it When is going to be enough.
0: Yeah, right. Um, so. How's the 12 year old doing now? Is he, uh, is he evening out or do you think the trauma is going to be there?
1: All, all three of them are doing much, much better. Um, you know, there's obviously the, you know, my middle son has had the hardest time, but he's also the one who's most willing to even have a conversation with me about it. You know, my, my oldest is the only one who remembers that there was a happy family at one point in time but, you know, he's, he's a very different kid and, and emotionally much more shut down, but he wasn't the target. It was, you know, my middle son who was the target and he will have conversations about it, which is good because it's important to actually, you know, talk about these things and understand what happened. And, you know, they all know I'm writing a book. They don't obviously aren't going to read it for a while. (laughs) It's not appropriate. They don't, They don't know that one of them was in as much danger as they were in because, you know, they need to be emotionally ready to handle that kind of understanding. And they're not really there yet. Um, But as they get older, I will have those conversations because I think it's very important that they understand what happened to them. So that as things happen, you know, as they get older and they start having their own sexual relations, that they they pay attention to those things in a different way.
0: Yeah, and when it comes to time to doing press, if you do uh, interviews with uh, media outlets from Colorado, make, make, make sure to mention, you know, these flaws in the criminal code there.
1: Yeah, I, absolutely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, so I, I wouldn't imagine you'd be naming your children in the book. No, I don't know if you're names
1: Yeah, their names are changed in the book. Um, everybody's name except my ex husbands is changed him I have not changed his name because I am citing the newspaper articles I am citing our divorce I am citing the case file the specific case file directly and if it didn't make sense to change his name then
0: Is he still going on about how that he's innocent is he still doing that or do you know him? I
1: have no idea like I said we have not heard from him since April of
0: 2020 Oh uh, I see and um I-
1: I really don't know what where he's at. I mean, these type of people are psychological and they believe their own stuff. They believe wholeheartedly that they aren't aren't dangerous.
0: And how how have uh, other members of your family reacted to this?
1: So my mom uh, was definitely in, in shock in the beginning and tried to convince me that I didn't have to stay and I couldn't hear it from her at the time. Because I had a lot of trauma about myself growing up without a father and it was a lot of my own abandonment wounding, which was keeping me in the marriage and I said I'm not going to take my kid's dad away like you took mine away. So I I had a lot of that to process my sister was as supportive as she could she didn't understand why I was staying in a marriage with somebody who admittedly admitted to even prostitutes. Um, his family was very supportive of him, and I have now also not heard from them since before the divorce. So they chose his side. They chose to believe and support him. And so my kids not only lost, you know, relationship with their father, which is a good thing, but they lost their relationship with grandparents and aunties and uncles and all of that as well.
0: Oh, And um, so, when, yeah, so when you start doing press and the book is out there, um, you're not using your real name. You're not using your children's real names. But people will recognize you in the community at they the, will. At the and, school and I'm
1: and I am using my first and middle name. Quick is actually my middle name. So um that is that Amanda Quick is my real name. Uh, I'm not gonna hide from this. Like it's it's public record who he was married to. It doesn't it doesn't even make sense.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering what impact that's gonna make on the kids socially, you know? Well my
1: goal my goal is to keep them as out of it as much as I possibly can. You know, we've moved we've moved far away. You know, the paper articles were in the city, not further than that. And so and we're not even in the state of Colorado anymore. And so my goal is to keep them away and you know I've changed their names and if they get older and decide they they wanna, you know, own their piece of it, that that's their choice, but I don't want to put that on them.
0: Sure. And, you know, we're heading into the Christmas season. Just Mm -hmm. we just had Thanksgiving. Uh, There's Father's Day. Certain holidays involve family. Is that a time of the year when, you know, the the scabs are picked a little bit and the boys are like, my father's not around? Uh, In the beginning,
1: yes. You know, the first Father's Day where we didn't hear from him and he wasn't around was really hard. Um, thankfully it was COVID and I don't think they knew it was Father's Day until some, you know, some TV thing said something about it. Um, And, you know, now it's much different. Now, you know, I'm, I'm remarried. I have different support system. I have different friends. I have, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm not as close to my biological family in the same way, but I have a lot other, other support. a lot of people who consider, you know, I consider family and so, you know, the kids have different aunties giving them presents and, you know, they, they experience a different level of coming together than they had previously. And so it's gotten better. The, you know, the more I've expanded my, my support system, the more theirs has expanded as well.
0: So your new husband's family has been supportive?
1: Yes, they have. Um, absolutely. And, you know, they they've you know we we've, we've hung we've hung out we've you know gone to see them you know and so they have another like a new a new grandma new aunties and uncles and you know and and then i have some close friends where we are where we're living now as well who are also very supportive
0: yeah so was it just your oldest child who was counseled about this or did the other ones just, have to just my
1: just my middle one who was uh, in yes yeah, the the middle... Um, the other two, we were, they were in play therapy for a little while, but, um, my youngest was almost too young when everything was happening. And my older one, you know, he's, he's the slightly autistic one and play therapy wasn't really working with him. And so after COVID hit and it was all like, literally all things went virtual, we stopped, we stopped doing therapy because it wasn't working anymore. (laughs) You know, they're, they're playing the iPad FaceTime game, not talking to the therapist.
0: Yeah, um, so if, I had a, if I had a child that was autistic, I'd be really worried about that because their their knowledge of social cues and the motives of others is very limited, is, is it not? It is.
1: It is. His, he, his, it's a different set of things. And so, you know, working with them on individually what they need and then involving, you know, therapists kind of as needed is really kind of where I'm taking it because, yes, they've gone through this and, yes, it's going to keep coming up and You know, I even had a conversation with my youngest child's first grade teacher because, you know, from a just a social awareness perspective that, you know, a lot of kids have missed a lot of school because of COVID. But his first five years of life were very volatile.
0: Oh, boy. And the middle one, you know, when at such a young age to have, you know, the sordid and the tawdry introduced Mm -hmm. to you, which is adult terrain, he was not prepared for it. Uh, Do you think that was it? Was it damaging in some ways, like in terms of um, his ability to love or I, meant, I you know I remember you saying that whenever you mentioned the abuse, he would go and hide or something. Yeah. is that so behavior stopped or is
1: it- it's gotten better. So yeah. I'm still the safe person. You know, he doesn't accept hugs from anybody else at all. Um, he's very i'm I'm the only one allowed to be physically affectionate with him. Uh, which I think on some level is protective of him for his, for his sake, even though he doesn't really know what he's doing, that's kind of where he stood. Um, He very, you know, he's at the age where friends are becoming more important than anybody else. Sure. So, you know, just, you know, lots and lots of conversations. He, he definitely is, you know, interested in, in girls, but it's very much about, I have a, I have a little crush on her sort of, sort of thing. Um, And you know my my hope is as they get older we can just continue to have these conversations and they can have a a model of what you know a good relationship looks like and what you know love looks like in a in a safe way and you know uh, he's he's opened up to my my new husband quite a bit but from a like physical affection perspective he's he's not he's not there yet
0: yeah i, I was abused as a child and uh, not sexually abused but i do still have really complicated feelings about adult males especially if they're taller than me uh so do you think you think he has you know difficulties with men
1: i think that he's definitely wary of them (laughs) and we'll see kind of how that plays out he's really emotionally sensitive he feels like he's trying to do the right thing and somebody's upset with him or he gets in trouble because the group did something wrong he he can't handle it like he's very very emotionally sensitive to anything going on, and you know on one level that means he's also aware from an emotional perspective, and that can really help him down the road but it's it's how do we process those emotions and how do we how do we deal with that now in a, in a ten year old's body
0: yeah, he may be quite hyper vigilant, which yeah, that can be both a good thing and a bad thing I mean you're you're aware of people's motives to a degree, but on the other hand, maybe some things are better left, you know, unknown, unsaid.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I'm at this point, you know, doing as much research as I can, doing as much going through things and and everything I can do to help them, I will.
0: So as the, uh, and speaking of, you know, difficulty with, with adult males, has there been any problems at school in terms of behavior?
1: No, he's the kid who really, really does not want to get in trouble and he will follow the rules to a T. Um, He he doesn't actually have any male. I don't think there are any male teachers in his school right now either. So um, it's it's all females right now for whatever reason. They're just generally more often teachers are female, I guess. Um, But he's he hasn't had any behavioral issues other than being frustrated when the other kids are getting in trouble, too.
0: Oh, I see. And uh, do you think, do you you forecast that he is going to improve, that he'll be able to come back out of the show?
1: I think so. And it's been gradually happening already. You know, it's been two and a half years. And, you know, introducing new people takes time for him. It's going to, you know, take time for him to fully open up. But, you know, it was only, it was probably a month ago now where their father came up in a conversation because they they share a, they share a middle name and he he was talking about wanting to change it actually and um and I I said something about you know that uh, my youngest has called called their their dad you know his real father that just because that's the way he described it at seven and I corrected him and I said no that's your biological father <laughs> and my middle child looks directly at my my husband now and says no you're our real dad
0: oh that's great
1: so he gets it you know he gets that he stepped out and that somebody new has stepped in who's who feels safe and is here and is committed to helping them and i i really feel like that's gonna in the long run be really supportive for
0: them how long did it take to convince them that the that what their father did to them was wrong did it did it take a lot of persuasion or
1: Um, So when I told them more of what happened, it was after he, after I already had full custody, I couldn't have the conversation with him, with them, you know, before that, because it would have interfered with the case. Um, After that, my oldest, who, like I said, is slightly autistic, ran away, didn't want to hear it. Just, you know, hysterical. My middle child listened and said, that doesn't seem like daddy. And I said, I didn't think so either, but this is what happened. And you know, some tears and processing, and there's been more questions from him over over the last couple of years. and my middle one or my little one, he was only five at the time. Yeah. so you know, grasping that was very difficult. And at this point, none of them really remember him. they don't they don't actually remember much before covid to be to be honest. and they don't really remember that much. And so, you know, as the more conversations we have, the more they will know. And, you know, as they gain, you know, maturity and start to have, you know, their own, their own sexual, you know, thoughts and, and questions, I want to keep an open conversation with them. You know, I want to, I don't want to make it a taboo subject to talk about with your mom, because we need to have these conversations. It needs to be sure. something we discuss openly. And, you you know, and they know what's what's OK and what's not and how important consent is and, you know, how we don't we don't objectify people and how, you know, how important connection is and all of these things that aren't honestly taught in the school system.
0: It's true. Um, so, yeah, aside from getting assistance from people in in terms forms in the forms of counseling, uh, mm-hmm. did, you, would you, did you ever read any books or any other resources that helped you with this?
1: I did, actually. And I don't even have one right here. This one. Um, this book it would actually probably interest your audience. It's called Predators. Uh, it's pedophiles, rapists, and other sex offenders. Who they are, how they operate, and how we can protect ourselves and our children. Um, this one is full, full of stuff. Uh, full of probably a lot of my worst worst case scenario and times where even the predator receives full custody, and the one trying to protect the child is removed from their lives and you know it's a really example of where the system fails but also looking at the psychological pieces what we can actually understand for ourselves and how yeah, we
0: it's, yeah it's interesting when i was growing up in the 80s it was all about stranger danger but it turned out less than 10% of the offenders are unknown to the child you know
1: correct, correct.
0: over it's, 40 it's, over 40% are relatives you yeah.
1: know well be, you know and it's it's how they're able to you know, move those boundaries a little bit because, you know, well, your mom makes you give, you know, uncle a hug. And so then we just we just move that boundary a little further and a little further.
0: Yeah, I remember I read an article recently about that and the person was questioning that practice. Should you force your kids to give kisses to relatives if they don't feel like it? You know?
1: uh, In mean, my opinion is no. From a consent perspective, they need to know they can say no.
0: Yeah, yeah that's true. All right. So uh, the title of your book again is
1: "The Sex Trafficker's Wife,"
0: and where? Uh, so it'll be will it be available in stores, online, yep. everything.
1: It'll be available starting January tenth. Uh, Amazon for sure. Uh, I don't know where them will have it yet, but if you go to the thesextrafficker'swife.com. Uh, you can sign up for direct updates. I will email you if you want to know exactly when it's released and where you can get it, as well as once it is released, I will obviously have all of the links to purchase from there as well.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Manda, for sharing this with us. I know my audience will appreciate it. I've done, up to this point, 26 child abuse cases, so wow. I'm sure it resonate with them.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me, and you know, listening to my story. And my my goal is to help people feel not alone, and to give people the understanding they have so much more power to change than they realize. And the system may be failing us, but we have we have the mar- the power to take back control. And and it's not just up to the system anymore.
0: And forewarned is forearmed. So, you exactly you know, it's good to trust people, but. With within limits you know, yes. you know the warning signs is important it is Yeah. alright well thank you very much Amanda have yourself right. a great weekend and Merry Christmas Merry Christmas to you as well take care, bye bye our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived